What if there was no Easter? Would it make any difference to our world at all? No long weekend, of course. Not that we really have one at the moment anyway. We're all stuck at home. No Easter eggs, no hot cross buns from Boxing Day onwards. But would it make a tangible difference to your life? I'm not sure if you know this, but ever since the very first Easter, people have been trying to get rid of Easter. And to do it, all you need to do is prove that the resurrection of Jesus never took place. You don't have to do anything fancy. You just have to provide evidence that the resurrection is actually fake news. Because the resurrection is, well, it's like that giant Jenga block that's holding up the whole tower of Christianity. You pull that one block out and everything comes tumbling down. And ever since that very first Easter, there have been numerous attempts to pull that Jenga block out of position. The first attempt we actually read in Matthew chapter 28. It says there in verse 11, while the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, you are to say his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we we were asleep. If this report gets out to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did just as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. So there is the very first attempt to explain away the resurrection in history. The disciples stole the body. And as Matthew writes his account of Jesus' life, death and resurrection, this story is still circulating. There have been others since then. Some people will say, well, Jesus didn't really die. It was actually somebody else on the cross or, or, or they just thought that he was dead. But in fact, he was, he was really just seriously injured and unconscious at the time. They put him in the tomb. All the women and the disciples, they, they turned up at the wrong tomb that Sunday morning. The disciples, some people will even say, made the whole thing up. But none of these theories have ever held any weight. None of them have been able to squash Christianity once and for all. And if you actually pick up Matthew, Mark, Luke or John, the the four biographies of Jesus, then these theories actually seem somewhat fanciful and elaborate attempts to explain away something that we find hard to understand. One thing that's worth seeing here is that the discussion that has taken place in history is around the question, what happened to the body? One thing that's never been disputed is that the tomb was empty that day. And that's exactly what we find as we pick up Mark chapter 16. The tomb was empty. Let me read again for you from verse 4. But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You're looking for Jesus, of the Nazarene, who was crucified. He is risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. 
They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. So we have an empty tomb. And the young man says, you're looking for Jesus. He has risen. He's not here. He's gone to Galilee. And that is the great claim of the Bible, friends. The tomb was empty because Jesus got up and walked away from his grave. Now, isn't that remarkable? What an outrageous claim in history. But here's the thing. People are not opposed to the resurrection because of the resurrection itself. People don't keep coming back to this question of history and the reconstructions of history that they've come up with because there's a lack of evidence for the resurrection. But I think people keep coming back to it because of what it means, because of what the resurrection tells us about Jesus. Because if this is true, it actually presses on me personally. So let's dig into that. What does it mean? All the way through the book of Mark, the author has been trying to show us two big things about Jesus. The first is, is that he is the king. And so the first half of Mark, from Mark chapter 1 through to verse chapter 8, we see Jesus' miracles. He calms a storm and he heals people. He drives out demons. He feeds 5,000 people. And when you look at all of those episodes together, the big point that Mark is making is Jesus is the king. They were all signposts that pointed back to the Old Testament to demonstrate to the people of God in that day that Jesus is the king. He's the great promised Messiah of the Old Testament that the Jewish people had been waiting for. The second thing that Mark wants us to see in, this, in, this, in, in his book is that Jesus is the saviour. So he's the king, but he's also the saviour. And you see that in a number of places, but it's summarised really well for us in Mark 10, 45, where it says, For even the Son of Man, that's talking about Jesus, did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. So he's the King and he's the Saviour who gave his life as a ransom for many. In other words, his death was actually all about our redemption. God was paying the price of his own son's life for our salvation. And they are the two big claims that Mark wants us to get as we read the, the entirety of the book. Jesus is king, Jesus is saviour. Now, if, not, if it were not for the resurrection, those two big claims would be null and void. If it all ended with his death, then his kingship actually means nothing to us. His death is a ransom for many. Well, it's just platitudes that we can kind of ignore. But if he was raised, if he walked away from the tomb, well, that presses on me personally. It means I need to pay attention to what it means for my life. I can't just dismiss this as information that can be ignored. His resurrection affects my life. Now, we're going to dig a little deeper into that. And, and we're going to ask that question, what does the resurrection say about Jesus as our saviour? And one of the New Testament authors digs into that question quite deeply and he approaches the question from the opposite angle. He, he approaches the question with the, the first, first question we ask, what if there was no Easter? What if there was no resurrection? And this is what he says in verse 14 of 1 Corinthians. He says, if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless. 
and so is your faith. More than that, then we're found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. Do you see what it's saying there? I find this kind of terrifying as a Christian. He's saying if this resurrection thing is not for real, then I've wasted my life. If you call yourself a Christian and the resurrection didn't happen, you've wasted your life. If Jesus is not raised, we are still in our sins, which just means that Jesus' death on the cross did nothing for our sin. He didn't die as a ransom for many. He's just another dead guy. The claim of Christianity is that Jesus dies a death in our place, a ransom for many. And as he dies, he takes on our sin and he wears the punishment of God for our sin. And Paul here is saying, if he wasn't raised, then his death meant nothing. It achieved nothing. It was all for naught. But if it's true, then it tells us that God accepted Jesus' sacrifice for us. It tells us that Jesus died a sufficient death for us. He actually took on sin. He actually took on and satisfied God's anger against us. God raised Jesus to show us that he accepted Jesus' death for us. Now, isn't that what you want? Isn't that what you long for? When you go to school assemblies as a parent, one of the things I've noticed is that kids are told over and over again that they are special. You are special, you are special, you are special. That's kind of the rhetoric of every school assembly that you ever go to. But here's the thing, right? If everybody's special, well, no one's special. But in the death of Jesus, God is saying something remarkable to each one of us. He's saying, you are special to me. I am so committed to you that I will give up my son for you. But it's not based on our performance. It's not based on our goodness. This is God's decision to do what needs to be done for us in order for us to be forgiven. Friends, Jesus' resurrection means your sin can be forgiven. You can be made right with God simply by trusting in what he has done for you. The second thing it tells us is that Jesus is king. And particularly what it tells us is that Jesus is king over death. This is what Peter, one of Jesus' followers, said on the day that the church began. He said, this man, Jesus, was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. I love that little phrase there at the end, that, that death could not keep its hold on him. Remember when we used to watch football, all those weeks ago 
We actually used to watch live football on TV. Imagine that phrase. The image in that phrase is that it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. It's like a player who just ducks and weaves and steps through tackles. No one can touch him. That was Jesus versus death. Death couldn't hold him down. And that's the thing that's most terrifying about death, isn't it? It's finality. I think the thing that's most terrifying about COVID-19 is, is there seems to be no rhyme or reason to it and it just strips people of life. And there's no coming back from that. You know, we can sugarcoat it and we can talk about the great life that she lived and we can laugh at the funny things that they said and we can remember them in our hearts. But friends, death is final. And yet, death couldn't keep its hold on Jesus. Three days after his crucifixion, he gets up and he walks away from the tomb, proving once and for all that he is king. And most significantly, he is king over death. The wonderful thing is, is that his conquering of death can be ours too. We're going to jump back into that passage in 1 Corinthians 15 and see what it says there about that. Verse 20, it says, But Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ the firstfruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. So what's he saying there? Well, he's, he, he says if Jesus is alive, then the resurrection of Jesus can be a guarantee that we can be raised too. Now, the terminology he uses here is the language of first fruits. And it's a little bit like that first mango that you eat in summer, right? The first mango, what does it tell you? The first mango that you have in summer? Well, it tells you what the rest of summer is going to be like. Mango for breakfast, mango for dessert, mango for snacks. Here Christ is the first fruits of a future physical resurrection for those who have trusted in Jesus. And he kind of spells it out there in verse 23. Have a look there again in verse 23. He says, but each in turn, Christ the first fruits, so that's Jesus' resurrection comes first. Then when he comes, that is when Jesus returns, those who belong to him, that's the people who have trusted in Jesus, our resurrection takes place. If Jesus is alive, friends, then, then death doesn't have to be the end. There is a future resurrection when Jesus returns. And so the resurrection declares Jesus to have power over life and death. And what he's saying here is that his victory can be our victory. His resurrection can be our resurrection too. Isn't that amazing? There's nothing like knowing for certain that death is not the end. I read a newspaper article last year about a man who thought he was prepared for death. He had some kind of terminal illness, like can't really remember what it was, but but what he had done is he'd gone out and he bought himself this big biodegradable coffin that he kept in his living room. And when people would come over and visit him, he would ask them to sign it, a little bit like he might sign a guest book at a wedding or something like that. And, and he even held a living wake. And people went to it and there was a bit of a party and people gave speeches 
like they might at a funeral, like eulogies that they might give at a funeral. There wasn't much else that needed to be done to prepare for death. But he actually had no idea of what next. He said he was taking comfort in the fact that he lived a colourful life. But what next? Compare that with a Christian man in our church who died only a couple of weeks ago. His faith firmly embedded in the death and resurrection of Jesus, knowing for certain that Jesus' resurrection meant that he too would one day be raised and live with Jesus in eternity. Where is your hope? Is it in a good life or a productive life or a moral life or a life fighting for social justice? Are you prepared for what happens when we die? Proper readiness is not a coffin in your living room. Proper readiness for death is placing your trust in Jesus, the King who conquered death, the Saviour who was raised for our salvation. You know, one of the things that COVID-19 has forced us to do is just slow down a little bit, hasn't it? It's given us time to think about what life is actually about. Where do my priorities lie? Have I filled my life with too much stuff? Am I living for anything meaningful at all? Who am I now that I can't work or work out? Well, let me add another question for you to contemplate. Am I ready to trust Jesus? Friends, I want to say there is no better decision in life that you can make than placing your trust in Jesus, entrusting your life to the death-conquering King who died for our salvation. I really want to encourage you to get in contact with us if you haven't done that yet. All the details of how to do that are in the description below this video. And we'd love to help you spend time thinking about Jesus and the new life that he has on offer for us. Why don't I pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that death doesn't have to be the end because Jesus is king over death. Jesus is a living saviour whose death on the cross satisfied your anger. We thank you so much that we can have real hope in this world, in this great time of uncertainty. And we ask that you would help us all to continue to place our trust in Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.